I'm going to get into the scripture in just a few moments, but before I do that, I want to just talk to you for a little bit. If folks will come on in, folks that are out in the foyer. And uh, I met with the men earlier. We talked about a few things in the church that are going on. The sign out here, for instance, the uh, rent house next door that's for sale. But I also talked to them about the fact that uh, I want the church to start thinking in terms of my resignation, my from the pastorate transitioning, uh, and which will be a big step for us. I've been here for 45 years, 40 plus years as pastor. For some people, I've only been your pastor for a little while. For some people, I'm the only pastor you've ever known. And so it's really, it's really a distinct privilege to be able to be in the same place uh, for this long. But um, it's not something that I haven't thought about, prayed about, talked even to the men about on more than one occasion. And... Um, a couple of years ago, and I'm going to repeat some things I said with the men, but they will remember this. A lot of our men will remember this. A couple of years ago, actually it was in September of 2019, I had two different meetings with our men, and I said, look, I'm not going to retire anytime soon, but, but I'm, it's on the, you got to know it's going to happen someday. You know, you don't want a 120-year-old pastor, right? Even though maybe I'd wouldn't preach as long, that might be a positive thing, but, but uh, so you have to think about it. And so I told the men then, I said, I'm not trying to alarm you or anything, but we need to really be thinking about this and praying about this. And one of the things that I've never wanted to do, and this is a very serious thing to me, is I've never wanted to pastor longer than I'm really effective uh, as a pastor, not just as a preacher, but as a pastor. I love what I do. I love, God called me, he didn't call me initially to pastor, he called me to preach. And I know there are a lot of things I don't know, but I know that. I know uh, God made it very clear to me. And through really uh, the process of uh, getting saved and getting plugged into a church in Texas through Brother Murray, I uh, had the opportunity and invitation to come here and serve on the church. I still, at that time, you, you may not be able to kind of relate to this, but I never dreamed I'd ever be a pastor. That was in 1976, 1977, um, which just kind of insert this. I think that's the way God's will works a lot of times. You just take a step and you're obedient in one place and God will help you and lead you and, and open up the next door. So I've been thinking about this. My wife and I have been thinking about this very seriously for over five years. And, and, and when I say seriously, we talk about it a lot. We pray for God's wisdom. So that if you think this is just uh, an impulsive announcement, it's not. It's been coming for a long, long time. And... Um, I just believe the time, I believe we're at that time. I think it's time for us to really seriously look at, and we'll talk a little bit about how I think that process could take place. But one thing I really went over and over with the men, because I want them to know this, I want you to know this, that we're not going anywhere. You know, if I had my, 
if I had my wishes, if I could do what I believe what I want to do, we would, we would continue to help the church through the process of discovering who the next pastor is and be here during the transition as we let that play out and be here after the next pastor becomes the pastor and be here and continue to serve after I'm no longer pastor. There is life after being pastor. At least I, that's a rumor that I've heard. So, um, so I'm not going anywhere. I mean, if the church were to say, you know, thanks, but we're, we're going to figure out it on our own, then I would, I would, you know, concede to that. But that's not really what we want to do. This is our church. I told the men earlier, I didn't come to this church to pastor. I came to this church to serve in this church. I wasn't the pastor then. I wasn't the pastor the first four and a half years that I was here. So I didn't come here to pastor. I came here because I believe God was leading me here. And I'm not planning on leaving it unless God leads me elsewhere. That's just, I just, that's the philosophy I've had for a lot of years. So I want to help the church. I want to help the church every way I can help the church. And I, I've had men ask me, men in our church, that when this time comes, and we know it's going to come eventually, if I would help the church with the process and, and determine who prospects might be. And I, I think everybody in this church would know this, but the, the men that are in our church that are preaching and preaching often now, more often and more often, that's uh, uh, Justin Hoke and Jason Hawkins and Jedediah, of course, and um, any of those men, and I mean this, my wife's sitting here and she would verify this. I would be thrilled to sit under any of those men and be, I'm fed by their preaching. I always enjoy their teaching and preaching. I believe they do a, a very effective job. And I could call any one of them pastor if that was God's will. And I mean that with all my heart. We're, we ought to be fortunate. We are fortunate as a church to have these men, these caliber of teachers and preachers and servants, men of God that we have. Of course, the Lord's led Jedediah and Lauren in a different direction. But if that was God's will, any of these men, I would be, I would be on board with it, enthusiastically on board with it. But I also told the men, in my praying and stuff, I can't say that I've definitely felt led. If I felt we were, the Lord was leading in a certain way, I would say that. I don't necessarily feel that way. I haven't sensed that kind of leadership. And so over the course of really the last uh, six or seven months, praying virtually every day about this. You know, I'm, I'm putting together in my own mind a very short list of some men that I think would be excellent pastors, people I've known for years, people who've served in churches, people who are, I've heard them preach, and people who um, I, would, I would recommend, you know what I'm saying? And that's kind of what we're talking about. That's, that's kind of the process I'd like to see worked out. And I, you know, I know some churches, we had this discussion among the men, and I think the men are really on board and agree in, in this regard. That's a better way than just sending out resumes to every place and getting names of people you don't know and trying to sort through that and figure out who's God won. I and mean, if we had to do that, we would do that. But I, I would like for us to, after we've had time to process this, after a week or two of processing this and praying over it and thinking about it, and, and maybe you'll, you'll have time to really just get the happiness and glee out of your 
heart that this moment has finally come. And then we can start really talking seriously about, you know, who might that person be. But God knows, right? God knows. And you, you, I don't know how, if you can accept this, but I'm, I'm really pretty excited about this. I'm excited about it from the standpoint that if God would guide our church to the, to the person that he wants to lead our church in the next generation and that we could all be on board to support that transition. I'm excited about that. I don't think we ought to live in the past. I don't think we ought to be stuck in a place. I think we ought to live by faith. I'll talk about that in a moment from the scriptures. But um, one of the things that we'll consider, and all these things, you know, we don't have, and when I say we, I'm talking about the men. We just had a long conversation about this. You know, the the process may change. The particulars may need to be tweaked and adjusted. But I think if we could find the person that we think is the right person and have them come and preach and spend some time and get to know us, and then maybe believe this really, we really believe this could be God. Maybe bring that person on staff for a while so we can work together as a church and them get to know us better and us get to know them better and then make that transition. I think that would be, a, a, to me, an ideal situation, an ideal plan. And again, you, prob- you may know this personally, or maybe you've heard it. Sometimes it's hard for... Um, a church, a pastor to resign from a church and stay in that church. Sometimes it's hard. It's hard for the people sometimes to uh, look at the old pastor and go to them and not really recognize and respect the new pastor. Sometimes it's hard for the pastor to be stay in the church. I've known I've known a situation very closely where it was it was really hard for the pastor's wife. You know, it's, all these things can happen. But I just, it, my, our goal would be to stay here and continue to serve and, and, and do anything we could. I'd join the choir, do anything we can to make me and Gary Cook would join the choir. And just, so that's, um, that's, that's really, um, I've been waiting for the right moment, what I think is the right moment. And I, I don't know how you know the right moment is, but today I thought would be a good day you know, to, to, to break the news. And, and I want to say this, and I, I would really, um, I, wish I, could, I wish I could really convince people of the importance of what I'm about to say. And I've said this to our men on numerous occasions. I know God has a person for us when the time is right. And I know God is going to lead us and lead I believe he's going to bring the right person to us. But my greatest concern, that if you could do anything, it would be this, to make sure we're all on board with seeking God's best, yielded to God the best way we know how to be, asking him to lead, being supportive, and serving God. I mean, that's what we need to be doing. That's what a church is supposed to be doing. And so I want to... Don't put it all on me, say, you know, and say, well, you figure out what it is. No, we need to all be on board with seeking the Lord. And so it's not my decision. Um, it will be the Lord's decision, but it'll be our decision as a church. So I want us tonight.
I wanted you to know that. I want you to be mindful of that. And I'm going to take, I'm going to just look in the scripture for a few moments. And let's get our Bibles and turn to Psalm 77. Just a scripture that's really been on my heart and mind uh, as I've thought about uh, this step. And I'm going I'm to look at this scripture together, just point out a few things that I think are relevant, not just to, to this moment, but to our lives in general. But then at the end, I'm going to give, I'll, I'll, we'll, I'll try to be mindful of the time. Um, my goal is to stay in here uh, long enough that we're, we're safe and secure that the trick-or-treaters have all left. <laughs> we'll have somebody out watching, and then we'll wrap it up. I love it, seriously. I like it when October the 31st falls on a Sunday because I can remember times when we would you know, try to be invisible when trick-or-treaters come around, we'd go to the basement, turn out all the lights, you know what I'm saying? But here, you're at church. What better place to be? Celebrating the goodness of God, amen? Amen. Psalm 77, let's stand together for the reading of God's word if you're able to stand. And I want to read the last two verses and then pray. Think about these words as we read them tonight. <clears throat> This is a psalm written to, about, but to God and about God and his ways. And it says this in verse 19. Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Our Father, we thank you for your word tonight, and we thank you especially for the Psalms and how they encourage us and teach us, instruct us about you and your ways, how they speak to our hearts about the struggles that we all have from time to time. And what a treasure we have before us. We're grateful for it. And Father, I pray that you just bless in these few moments as we think about your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're not going to take the time tonight to look at this entire psalm, all 20 verses of it. <coughs> but one of the things we find in this psalm is something we find in many psalms. And that is how God's people have struggles. And I just want to point out a few verses that express that. In verse 2, Psalm 77, 2, the psalmist writes, In the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. Uh, by the way, uh, most of us know that troubles don't always end at the end of the day. Sometimes troubles and difficulties and afflictions uh, take time. In our life. But in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. Look at the last part of verse 2. My soul refused to be comforted. I, I could not find peace and comfort in my soul. In verse 3, he says, My spirit was overwhelmed. In verse 4, he talks about his sleeplessness. 
Thou holdest mine eyes waking. Now, if you just read this without really thinking about it, it might not mean anything, but those of us who've been through dark valleys and been through difficult times, we know what it's like when it, when it seems like our soul cannot be comforted and, and it seems like our spirit is overwhelmed, we're restless, we can't sleep, even though we need to sleep. And the psalmist expresses a kind of hopelessness and despair um, beginning in verse 7 where he's... He's actually internally questioning uh, if God's ever going to come through. Look in verse 7. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean, gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Notice this. Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Isn't that an amazing thing to say to God? Has God forgotten? To be gracious. Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies because he's displeased? Has he just actually blocked his mercy from being available to us? So the, the writer's not only struggling with what he's going through, but he's actually struggling with the character, the consistency, the faithfulness of God. And, uh, and so we could go on with this, but the point being... God's people go through trials and struggles, emotionally, spiritually, difficult. It's just a part of life. And for a person to give the impression that we don't would be giving somebody a false impression. And these, these words are descriptive, I think, of serious, serious emotional and spiritual problems that people can go through. And I know that some people maybe who don't really know the Bible um, as well as they should, or maybe even people who are young in the Lord might think, well, if somebody's feeling this way, it must be because they're not right with God. But that's not necessarily so. You know, in my life, there was a time in my life, in the early years of my life, if you'd have talked to me about how Christian could be down and be discouraged, I'd have said, why? <laughs> I'm being serious, why? I mean, God's been good. He saved us. He lifted us up out of the... The pit, you know, he's changed our life. He's put our life back together, saved our family. What do you mean? I mean, what do you mean you're struggling? But you know what? The more you go through life, you experience more of life. It's not always because of rebellion. It's not always because of disobedience. These struggles the psalmist had might be sort of kind of like the struggles maybe that Joseph had in the Egyptian prison where he was and didn't deserve to be. Or David when he was hiding in the cave of En Gedi when Saul was hunting him like an animal. Or Job when he was sitting in a pile of ashes and scraping the sores off of his body and thinking about the fact that his kids and his possessions and everything's been taken in just a few days' time. I mean, people have trials. People have afflictions. It's a part of life. And it doesn't mean God's not good, but God has something bigger for us than our comfort and convenience. He does. And in these times of difficulty that the psalmist writes about, he expresses another thing, not just the struggles of God's people, but that God's way is not always clear. And that's what we read about in verses 19 and 20. Look at the language of verse 19. Speaking to God, thy way is in the sea, and thy path 
in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Now that says a lot to me. This would be a hard path to navigate. If you had to follow someone through the sea or through the ocean, his path is in the great waters, his footsteps are not known. How could you follow someone through the water? When I was studying for this and thinking about this, I thought about when I was a kid, when I was young, and my family would watch old westerns. And in the old westerns, uh, if someone was chasing you, in order to keep somebody from following your trail, you would get off into a creek or in the water, and you'd walk in the water, and they couldn't follow you in the water because their footsteps could not be found. That's what this is talking about. You can't track somebody in the water. God's paths are not always easily seen. But when I think about this, when it says in verse 19, Thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters, God has a reputation of making a way even in the waters. He talks about this in verse 16. If you look there in Psalm 77 and verse 16, when he says, The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, they were afraid. The depths also were troubled. I think that's making a reference. I know it is. It's making a reference to when he led them through the Red Sea. And when you couldn't see a way, but God made a way where there is no way. There's another reference to this. I'm going to come back to Psalm 77. But go to Psalm 114, if you would, for a moment. Psalm 114. Again, a, a psalm not given to a person credited to someone that we might know, Psalm 114. But notice how he speaks about this subject. Verse 1, Psalm 114, 1, when Israel went out of Egypt, that's talking about when Israel exited Egypt, when they left Egyptian bondage. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel was his dominion. Look here. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. And then look in verse 5. What aileth thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest, thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? In other words, God can make a way through the Red Sea. God can make a way through the swollen waters of the Jordan River. God's way is in the sea. You cannot follow him always. But God can make a way even in the sea. Even the disciples witnessed. Fearful, afraid of the storm, afraid of the waves beating against their boat. The boat was filling with water. And you know what they saw? They saw him walking on the sea. The sea's not a problem with God. They watched him as he spoke and stilled the storms and the winds with his words. He, God has a way in this. He has his way in the sea. Now the storms of life, back to Psalm 77, the storms of life can be very troubling. The storms of life can be testing and trying. There's a, there's a um, picture out in the foyer out there of a storm. And we took a little plaque and put on there a verse from Nahum chapter 1 that says, The Lord hath his way in the whirlwind. And in the storm. God has his, and the word whirlwind there is talking about a hurricane or a tornado, a whirlwind. God has his way. 
I mean, what can be more disconcerting than a tornado or a hurricane? But God has his way in the storm. God has his way. The reality is God will have his way. So what does that mean to us? What does this mean in Psalm 77 when it talks about God's way is in the sea and his path in the great waters, his footsteps are not known? It, it mean, to me, what it means is this. God can be trusted, but God wants to be trusted. God wants us to trust him. God wants us to follow him by faith. Wouldn't it be easy? Wouldn't it be really a lot easier if you and I could get up in the morning and look at our phone and there God has sent us a detailed map and description of every place we're to go during the day, every foot, every turn, be like a navigation system. And if, I, if it was me, you know, I'd be getting this, I'd change it. It wouldn't be a woman's voice because God's speaking to me. But, you know, turn to the right, whatever the case may be. Imagine how it was in the Old Testament. They had some rough times. But in the daytime, they could see a cloud over the tabernacle. And that cloud was symbolic of the presence of God. And at nighttime, so they didn't have to worry, they could see a fire, a physical, visible fire. Every day, it wouldn't that be an amazing thing? And you know what? Listen, God is just as present with you and he is with me as he was with them. It's just you can't see him. You can't see that. What does he want us to do? He wants us to trust him. God wants us to trust him. One, I've had a lot of surprises in my life. And one of the great surprises, and I say this in all sincerity, in my latter years, is how much we still need to trust him to make his will known. It doesn't, it's not like all of a sudden you reach a place. You know, some of us have seen pictures of, of basketball players who were good and they'd been doing it a long time who could be blindfolded, stand on the free throw line with a blindfold on and make free throws. You ever seen that? You know why? Because they've done it so much, you just keep doing it. You do it so much, it's automatic. You don't have to think about it anymore. But the Christian life is not like that. We're always going to be trusting in God. And what is it that pleases God? What is it more than anything else we as a church could do, more than anything else I could do individually, what is it that pleases God more than anything else? And the simple answer is, it pleases God when we trust Him. But without faith, Hebrews 11 says, but without faith it is impossible to please Him. It's impossible to please Him without faith. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He's a rewarder of them that diligently Seek Him diligently, continually, fervently, faithfully seeking God. And you know what He can do? He can make a way, a path, when we can't see it. You believe that? He can. He does. We've seen Him. You've seen Him. Many of you individually, you've trusted Him and tried Him and you've seen Him work. When we can't see it, we don't know what He's up to. This is a very small thing but to you, but it's not to me. You know, when we determined that it was God's will 
in this winter of 1976 for us to pack up and move from that little remote place called Dallas to this wonderful thriving metropolis called St. Clair. We didn't, know, we didn't know what would happen. We didn't know what would await us. We, we had no idea. But we did know this. God was leading us. We knew that. So the point is, God can be trusted. And our job is to, is to, to try to determine what he wants us to do today and do that for his glory. We've seen this happen as a church. We, when we've taken steps that we, we knew were steps of faith, whether it's building something or a new ministry or whatever the case may be, our, our job, listen, our job is not to know what God has in store for us every day of our life. Our job is to trust the one who can have his way in the sea and rely upon him. His footsteps may not be known to us, but we can certainly know that he knows what he's doing. In the last verse, notice this. Let's read 19 and 20 again and we'll be done. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path is in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Notice this. Thou leddest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. God is faithful to lead his people. He led his people. He led his people. Now, God led Moses through the wilderness, through this light and through this uh, cloud. God led him, and God is a capable of leading us. But he's not just capable of leading us. He is committed to leading us. He's our shepherd. That's the, that's the symbolism there. He led us, your people, like a flock. He leads us with his word. He leads us with his spirit. I'm thankful for God's leadership in our life. But God also uses human instruments to lead us. He used Moses to lead Moses and Aaron. Moses with Aaron's help and assistance. God, children, young people, God, God will use your parents to lead you. Amen. And God will use spiritual leaders, pastors to lead us. But I believe this. Not just because I read it in this verse, I believe it because I, I believe all of the Bible teaches us this. God, I believe, is more committed to giving his flock his direction even than the flock is interested in finding his direction. He's a shepherd. He leads us. And our job is to trust him. There's another verse in that scripture. Did I say I was going to be done after those two verses? No, you thought I said that, but I didn't really say that. Here's another thing about God's way. Look in verse 13. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great a God as our God? That's a great psalm. And you got the man with his troubles, and will God ever be good again? Has God forgotten to be gracious? And, and I cannot be comforted. I can't sleep at night. But God, your way is in the sea. And then he says, your way is in the sanctuary. The, sac the sacred place. Sanctuary is a sacred place, a holy place. And I'll tell you, God's way is made known in his presence. The closer we get to God, the more we'll be able to determine 
what he wants. The more we draw near to him, the more we seek him, seek to follow him, the more we'll know his way. And so I, I think this is a great time to be seeking the Lord together, praying and trusting God for direction and asking God to make his will and believing that the God who gave us the Bible will make his way known. I believe that. Amen? And God's will is always good. It's good. God is good and his will is good. Let's pray. And then I'm going to take a, just a moment and see if anybody has any questions or clarification needed about my announcement. Let's pray. Our Father, as we pray tonight, we thank you for your will. We thank you for your way. We thank you for the word of God that guides us. And Father, our church has existed now for over 40 years without ever having to think much about who the pastor is going to be. But over the next few weeks and months as the process comes on, Lord, we, we're going to be right here seeking your face, asking you for direction, asking you to make your will known. And I pray that not just about the decision for who the pastor will be. And I pray it for the decisions we make in our life. Lord, These, all the folks who are here tonight, single adults and families and parents and young people, young adults, God, we need your guidance in our life. We need your direction in our life. You're good. Your will is good. Your way is good. God, I just want to tell you, not because we feel it, not because we necessarily would prefer it, but because we know it's best, that we're, we're delighted to do your will. And we know that sometimes your way is in the sea and we can't really see where the next step is going to be. But God, you know, and we're going to trust you to lead us and guide us. And we do trust you, Lord, for that tonight. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.